From the Financial Times in London, I'm Patrick Jenkins, the FT's financial editor, and this is FT News. Swiss banking group Credit Suisse has come under attack from an activist shareholder. RBR, a small Swiss hedge fund, has bought a small stake in the bank and is now trying to get support for its plan to break up Credit Suisse. With me to discuss that are Laura Noonan, our investment banking correspondent, Attractor Mooney, our investment correspondent, and we're also talking to David Harrow, who is from Harris Associates, Credit Suisse's biggest investor, and Davide Serra from the hedge fund Algebris. I suppose, Laura, it might be worth spelling out exactly what's happened here and how the proposal from this activist investor compares with Credit Suisse's current situation. We're about two years on from when Credit Suisse's then-new CEO, Tijan Tiam, announced a restructuring plan for the bank. And his plan was basically to concentrate the bank more around Asia-Pacific, to concentrate it around wealth management, to take some resources away from the investment bank, which at the time was tying up a lot of Credit Suisse's capital and was quite expensive, and then to use that to grow other parts of the bank. At the time, he also wanted to separate out Credit Suisse's Swiss bank, and he was going to IPO that separately. Since then, they have changed their mind about the Swiss IPO, but the rest of it remains pretty much on track. And the idea is that Credit Suisse will be a wealth manager, which will then leverage the wealth management to grow revenue for the investment bank. And they also have a retail bank. And that's pretty much the bones of it. And the Credit Suisse management argument is that the group works best like that when there are lots of synergies from having their various activities all under the one group. In the last couple of days, it has emerged that there is a hedge fund which has built a stake A pretty small stake at this stage. They were talking about less than half of 8% of Credit Suisse's equity capital. But they've built this stake and what they want Credit Suisse to do is effectively split the business into three. So in the US, you would have an investment bank, which would go under the old First Boston brand, which Credit Suisse bought a number of years ago. Then you would have a wealth manager come retail bank, and that would be a separate entity. And then a third entity, which would be Credit Suisse's asset management arm. And they think that they could make it a much more profitable entity by doing this. Now, we've been there, done that when we think about the investment banks. We've had several campaigns. One in UBS run by Knight Fink, where they were trying to separate UBS. It hasn't worked before, but when they look at this now, they say that there are some unique advantages to doing it for Credit Suisse at this juncture. Okay, well, thanks for setting the scene. I think the bottom line is that these guys have had a successful track record, though limited. But what's different here is this is a far bigger organisation that they're going after. They've got a far smaller stake. So I suppose it would be useful to hear from a tractor. A tractor, you write about the asset management industry, and you've seen this entity, RBR, go after a big asset manager in Switzerland, GAM, and be pretty successful. What can you tell us about their modus operandi and particularly the individual who heads this RBR business called Rudy Bowley? Rudy is a controversial figure. He is friendly in person but not afraid to criticise individuals as well as companies. And with the GAM story this year, they were pretty aggressive and professional. And I think that's probably one of the key points. They brought in consultants, they developed a huge plan for how they would revamp GAM, which included overhauling its board, cutting jobs, getting rid of the CEO, various different measures. And the proposals actually won support from the big proxy advisors that advise investors how to vote, which is a pretty big feat because it can be hard to get their support. And that was because they said that the proposals were fairly professional. And although they didn't agree with everything, they thought he was making a decent case. So with the GAM story... 
they did not get somebody on the board, but what they did manage to do was have a revolt over pay. And over the time where they were invested, which was a little under a year period, the share price rose significantly. And the same with Gate Group, which was a company they targeted a year previously. They were pretty successful with that campaign too and saw it being sold off in the end with a 20% premium. So they're small campaigns, but growing bigger by each year. And he has been noisy is probably the best description. He is good at making noise and drawing attention to these companies. Well, he's going to be making some more noise in the coming days. Our understanding that he's due to present his strategic case at a conference in New York later this week, the so-called Robin Hood conference organised by JP Morgan. And he's also, we gather, signed non-disclosure agreements with a 100 other investors. This would suggest that he's trying to get new investors on board as part of a mission to get a momentum of feeling against Credit Suisse's current strategy and in favour of his own alternative breakup model. Let's go now to Harris Associates and David Hero, who is the biggest investor in Credit Suisse. David, thank you very much for joining us. I just wondered, for many people, this approach by this small, relatively unheard of Swiss hedge fund will have come out of the blue. You're the biggest shareholder in Credit Suisse. Do you think it has any merit? Well, I don't really think there's a lot of merit because Though theoretically, it seems to make sense and it sounds good when you get into the details. And when you look at the complexity of a business, the business is underneath the Credit Suisse umbrella, multiple jurisdictions, multiple regulators, and the interdependence on some of the various divisions with one another. From a practical perspective, it would be very, very difficult. And I think secondly, the new First Boston Corp., which would be the new name of the investment bank, the assumption is that it would have the same valuation as like a Goldman Sachs or a Morgan Stanley. And I just don't believe that to be the case. I think the businesses are very different. And Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs have been long established independent houses. It would be quite a stretch to think that this spinoff could be adequately capitalized and strong enough to compete head to head. Yes, there are niches, but I think there's no way that the spin-off First Boston would be able to be ranked in the equivalency of a Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs. Yeah, there's clearly quite a lot of leaps of faith in terms of the valuation. What about the idea of a split-up per se? Because there's obviously talk in this hedge fund proposal of the kind of conglomerate dis-synergies. Does that ring true at all to you? Well, not really, because at this stage, there is interdependency amongst the various groups within Credit Suisse, especially in the Asian business, where often an investment banking client becomes a private bank client and vice versa. A lot of these wealthy family groups in Asia who may start, for instance, as a private bank client then want to float some of their businesses or do something on the corporate side. So there clearly is some synergy and secondly, at this stage, you know, we would just prefer to see the management focused on executing the plan that they developed two years ago. And we're literally seven-eighths, 90% of the way through with it. And so I think to disrupt the execution of that plan, which includes moving capital to work and earn a higher return, which includes focusing on businesses which the investment and the investment bank where they're the most strong and have the greatest unique selling proposition, which includes becoming more efficient and cutting costs, but at the same time growing revenue streams 
these are all characteristics of the current business plan that we'd like to see finished. And do you think Chief Executive Tijan Tiam then has won over the sceptics? It sounds like he's won you over, certainly, as the biggest shareholder, but do you think he's got the majority of opinion on his side? Well, people need to see results. And I think the good news is, over the last couple of quarters anyway, we're finally starting to see results. And especially is the SRU, the unit where all the, you know, the bad debts and the bad assets are held, continues to be wound down. And this should be wound down in the next few years then we will really see the true earnings power of the firm. And as they continue to gather more assets in Asia, and as they continue to stabilize the investment bank, both in Europe and in the U.S., I think you know we're starting to see signs that the strategy that Mr. Tian put in place is, is leading to success. And so this isn't just hope. I think we're already started to see this over the last two or three quarters. And the share price performance, I guess, of late has reflected that. Yeah, year-to-date it's been better, but I still think there's significant upside. I think the market is failing to differentiate their earnings by subtracting out the special resolution unit's losses. And when those losses are gone, and as we continue to grow wealth management and apply kind of a multiple to that business, the market will work these things out. I don't think the company needs to be broken up to achieve a higher valuation. Now, Mr. Rudy Boley, who's the gentleman behind this RBR hedge fund, has been doing quite a lot of lobbying behind closed doors, not least within Credit Suisse, but also among the investment community. I gather he's signed 100 non-disclosure agreements with certain investors. Has he been in touch with you? Yes, but we don't like the idea of signing a non-disclosure agreement and being made insiders, because then that freezes us. So he asked if we could talk. He did not tell me the subject matter, and I said, no, thank you. Okay. We know him because we were both co-invested in a small Swiss company called Gate Group, and we've been relatively successful working with him to achieve you know, a better situation there. But I think in this case, there's too many assumptions that are not realistic that go into his conclusions. So a final conclusion, will it go anywhere? Will it achieve anything? Even if he doesn't succeed in his efforts, will it actually galvanize some rethink about the value of Credit Suisse, do you think? Well, I do think the company remains substantially undervalued. So this has brought light to that belief. Secondly, there are some things he brought up which require further examination. For instance, redomiciling the investment bank to a more friendly region where, you know, the capital requirements are so stringent, the regulatory requirements aren't so stringent. You know, some of these things uh, the management should be taking a look at. But I think the general thesis of just splitting the thing up, in my view, is incorrect. But he does have some points that require a second thought. So I guess you'll be urging Tijan Tiam and others to at least look at some of those good ideas that might be hidden inside the, the bigger plan. Very good. David Hero, thank you so much for joining us. Let's hear now from another investor, Algebris, which is a big financial investor, although not particularly in the Credit Suisse situation, but maybe for a slightly more dispassionate point of view. And Davide Serra, their founder and chief executive, joins us on the line now. Davide, hi. The question I wanted to ask you was, why do you not agree with the RBR breakup plan? The reason why I do not agree with the breakup plan is because shareholders will be worse off, clients will be worse off, creditor will be worse off. So it's a lose-lose. Why it's a lose-lose? 
because Credit Suisse is a group that has been formed over the last 100, 150 years. And today you do have a balance sheet. With the current balance sheet, if you were to try to separate the investment bank, the retail operation, and asset management, you will actually have to put more capital, not less, and you'll have massive attrition of clients because clients will have an unstable institution all of a sudden. And at the same time, the synergies that can actually be achieved, whether in digital, in product, in running an integrated firm, will be lost. Hence, I think here, the activist has invested in a firm that has three business pillars, and assuming that you create value by breaking it up, it just makes no sense. If what he wants is pure asset management or retail, then he should invest in firms that only do that, like Julius Baer or a pure asset manager. The company, Credit Suisse, it's an integrated firm, and breaking it up would actually, in my view, destroy value rather than creating it. He makes the argument that there are big dissynergies in this conglomerate structure and that I think the valuation that he's suggested might be released from breakup would be, in aggregate, a doubling of the valuation, particularly on the wealth management side, which he argues is discounted heavily by being in the same group structure as an investment bank. You don't buy that, though. Well, the issue is the investment bank is still loss-making, in my view, de facto. And so the assumption he runs is that you can value the equity in the investment bank at cash, and hence the wealth management is much more valuable, and hence you should double the value of the overall group. Well, those are two wrong assumptions. The investment bank will never be able to attract cash value. It will require more equity. God knows who's going to ever fund it. And as a result, you, know, you have a big liability in it. So the only way you reduce the liability is actually managing cutting cost, integrating, serving clients, which is what Tijam is trying to do, similar to what John Crane is trying to do in Deutsche Bank. And the attractiveness of Credit Suisse is that it has this fantastic wealth management franchise and private banking franchise globally, and which is the core jewel of the firm. But you can't just value the good bit and ignore the bad bit. It doesn't work in that way because you have both bits and you can just chuck one off. And what those within the bank would argue, I suppose, is that you need the investment bank to service the clients within the private bank. A final thought from you then, Davide. I don't know if you know Rudolf Boli from RBR, but whether you do or you don't, do you think he's going to have success in rounding up support for his view? However flawed that view might be, will other investors buy into it? So on average, I support activists because there's always you know, a reason why someone is happy to speak up and step up. I think, though, in this case, what they are proposing, it's wrong. It's against the shareholder interest. It's against the company interest. And I don't think it will have shareholder support because shareholders ultimately vote you know, in their own interest. And in my view, this is against their own interest. What he highlights is that there is value in the firm, which I do agree, there is long-term value. But we need two, three years to execute the plan i give an example. Tijam first thought of floating the retail unit. I thought that was a bad idea, and then he changed course, and he decided to raise capital rather than floating the retail business. Why the retail business is better off inside? Because if you create suddenly conflict of interest between asset management, investment banking, wealth management, what happens is rather than looking at the role client interest, you're just having people fighting against each other. And that's against both the client and the overall stakeholders. As a result, I think their plan will not float, it won't work. And most importantly, if you were to ask the regulator, the regulator will probably tell you, no way. 
this is a regulated business. So the ultimate say, it's in the regulator hands. And I can tell you, being Credit Suisse a GCF, there is no way that we'll ever allow a breakup of it. Yeah, as you say, as a GCF or a so-called systemically important bank, you get much closer regulatory scrutiny than any other bank in the world. Davide, thank you so much for joining us and giving us your thoughts. Well, that was a segment from the FT's Banking Weekly podcast, which goes out every Tuesday and is available from all the usual podcast apps. 